Welcome to the First Baptist Church Brunswick podcast. Join us as we desire to lead people into a deep and thriving relationship with Jesus Christ. Well, amen, amen, amen. Can we give another hand clap of praise for our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? Amen. Thank you, Josh and choir and orchestra for leading us in a, in a great day of worship and just what an honor and privilege it is to observe the ordinance of baptism. And um, so um, next Sunday, we're observing the ordinance of baptism again. And so we have several uh, scheduled for baptism. And so maybe uh, this morning while you were uh, watching and observing and maybe you came to the conclusion that, you know, I haven't followed in believer's baptism and that you want to get baptized, well, know this, next Sunday we're doing it again. And uh, you are more than welcome to join us in the baptism waters um, as we make it one of our goals to see lives change here at First Baptist Church Brunswick. Amen? Amen, amen. Well, if you have your Bibles with you today, and I'm sure that you do, um, would you please take them out and go to the New Testament book of Philippians. Philippians chapter 3. We finally made it to the halfway point in this book, and everybody said, praise God. <laughs> praise God. 2021 is almost done. I don't know if we're going to make it, but we're going to, I promise you. We're going to make it all the way through this book, but we're going to look at verses 1 through 11 this morning, and, and I hope and pray that you have enjoyed in your Sunday small groups uh, to go along with what I am preaching, with my text, and uh, I hope that's been beneficial uh, to you, and I'm hoping that uh, at least something in your Sunday small group or on the message that I give you, I just pray that something sticks to the wall, amen? That something about the book of Philippians and about joy, that it will just stick to the wall in your life. Well, this morning, I've titled today's message, A Testimony of Joy, A Testimony of of joy. Now let me share briefly with you how I see Philippians chapter 3, how it fits in uh, this entire book. Um, in chapter 1, we read or we hear Paul say what his life's desire is. He says in Philippians 1.21, for me to live is Christ. So in Philippians chapter 1, we see this, Christ is my life. Christ is my life, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Well, in chapter 2, we read about Jesus being the model of how we are to live our lives. And so, chapter 1, Christ is my life. Chapter 2, Christ is my model. And now in chapter 3, Paul is, is going to talk about, through these entire 21 verses, uh, Paul is going to talk about in chapter 3 that, that we need to press on towards the goal of the upward call of Christ. So in chapter 3, you're going to see this theme that Christ is my goal. Chapter 1, Christ is my life, which means Christ is above me. Chapter 2, Christ is my model, which means Christ gives me the example to live. And in chapter 3, Paul is going to say, Christ is my goal. And if you and I want joy in our lives, then we have to make seeking Christ with all of our hearts our number one goal in our life. Christ is my goal. Look with me in verse number one, and let's pick up and let's read verses one through 11 as we read about Paul's testimony of joy. Verse number one, and it begins, finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things again is no trouble to me and is a safeguard for you. 
Beware of the dogs. Beware of the evil workers. Beware of the false circumcision. Do you think Paul wants us to know something there? Beware, right? Verse number three, for we are the true circumcision, we who are believers in Christ, who worship in the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Although I myself might have confidence even in the flesh. If anyone else has a mind to put confidence in the flesh, I have far more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to the righteousness which is in the law, found blameless. Verse 7, but, it's a term of conclusion. He's going to say something that's, that he's concluded from all of these things he's already previously said, but whatever things were gain to me, those things I've counted as loss for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I've suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish so that I may gain Christ. Uh, That word rubbish in Greek is skubala, and it's a very popular word, dung. It's what the King James Version says. It's in the Bible. He says, and count them but rubbish, dung, excrement. Why? So that I might gain Christ, and I may be found in him not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law. Law with a capital L is the Old Testament, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from from God on the basis of faith that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death in order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Would you pray with me, please? Father, As we have read your word this morning, Father, we stand on your word, which you say in Isaiah in the Old Testament, you say this, that your word will not return void. And Father, that's all that we can lean on, but it's enough. And I pray, Lord Jesus, that today, through the reading of your word, through the studying of your word, through the worshiping of your holy name, Father, I pray that lives would be changed today. And that we could say, as Paul said, that all things that I've considered gain, I count them as loss just so that I can know the surpassing value of Jesus Christ. May we know you more today. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen. Well, this here is Paul's testimony of joy. You and I know this because we experience it whenever we watch something on television or on, uh, on our social media or on, uh, on the internet, but we know this, that testimonies are the most po- powerful form of communication. You and I often buy things because somebody said it was a really good product, and we listen to them, and we value them, and we listen to a testimony, and we find value in testimonies because they are powerful. Well, we know from scriptures that Paul had an encounter with Jesus that totally changed the direct trajectory of his life. 
And here's what I know about Paul's um, encounter with God, with Christ, is this, is that whenever you and I have an encounter with Jesus Christ, it will change your life. When you and I come into a contact, we have an encounter with Jesus Christ, it changes the trajectory of our lives. Henry Blackaby, in his um, what I call his famous study called Experiencing God. Many of you have taken that. But in that study, Henry Blackaby said this, that whenever God moves, you are to join him, but then it causes what, what he calls a crisis of belief. Whenever you have an encounter with the Almighty God, whenever you have an encounter with Jesus Christ, you, your life is going to be changed because you come to a crisis of belief. You have a crisis of faith, meaning you are either going to be all in with the encounter that you just had with Jesus and your life completely changed, or you're going to have this encounter and you're going to reject that which Jesus is doing in front of you, and that will change the trajectory of your life. But whenever you and I have an encounter with the resurrected Savior Jesus Christ, it changes our lives. And Paul is a living example of that. I remember when I was eight years old in Lomisa, Texas at the, my home church called Second Baptist Church. We didn't like First Baptist Church. Third Baptist Church didn't like Second Baptist Church. Well, I grew up at Second Baptist Church. Um, and, and I remember when I was eight years old, I sat on the second row, right over here, on the second row, in pews that were burnt orange. Burnt orange. Today, my home church still has burnt orange pews. But I remember that moment when I was eight years old, we had an evangelist come and speak. And he spoke of an encounter that he had with the resurrected Savior, Jesus Christ. And in his testimony, he told the story of how God had radically healed him from cancer. And I just remember as an eight-year-old, I just remember that, I remember saying to myself as the Holy Spirit, I believe that the Holy Spirit was communicated to my heart. I just remember saying, man, I want a God like that. I, I, want, a, I, want, a, I want a God who is all-powerful. I mean, surely if God can do something like that, surely he can do something in, in my life. And the story of this man, this evangelist, having an encounter with the resurrected Savior Jesus Christ who radically cured him from cancer, it, it caused a burden, a, a burning in my heart that I wanted to know who this God was. And it was through his testimony that my life was opened up to the gospel of Jesus Christ. You see, your testimony is a powerful form of communication. You have a story to tell, and somebody needs to hear your story. Somebody needs to hear how you had an encounter and how it radically changed the trajectory of your life. When you look at Scripture, the Bible is full of testimonies. The Bible is, is full of men and women having this encounter and their lives changed dramatically. King David wrote in Psalm 66, he said, Come and hear all you who fear God and let me tell you what God has done for me. I mean, God, uh, David didn't have much to say about God, did he? Oh, yeah, he helped me kill a giant. 
Happens to me all the time. Right? Oh, he just happened to take me out of the fields where I was shepherding, and, and he just made me the king of Israel. I mean, great things happened in David's life, and he said, I want to tell you what my God did for me. He said, come and hear. I mean, I've got great things to share about this great God, and he tells this great story. How about, how about the woman at the well that Jesus had a conversation with in John chapter 4? You remember that story? Jesus sits down next to the Samaritan. He's not, Jews do not associate with Samaritans, but Jesus, in all of his greatness, his grandeur, his glory, sits next to the one who, who the world says, don't talk to her. She's not like you. She's different. Jesus has a conversation with her. And you remember this? He said, he said, he said woman, uh, go get your husband. You remember that? And she's like, um, I, I don't have one. And Jesus, can you imagine Jesus with compassion in his eyes, but also with, with fire of glory burning out of his eyes, says, that's right, you've spoken well. You don't have one. You've had. And because of that, that woman runs back to her city. And in John 4, 39, it says this, that the city came out to see Jesus because they believed in him because of the woman's what? Testimony. <laughs> she had an encounter. Changed her life and changed the city's life as well. I mean, there's other testimonies. How about the man born blind? Do you remember that story? He's kicked out of the synagogue. The religious leaders of the day mock him, make fun of him, and they said, Tell me, what do you know about this man, Jesus? And I love what the, what the blind man said. He, he said this, listen, I, I, I don't know if Jesus is a sinner or not. I, I, don't know, I don't know everything about him, but one thing I do know. Man, I was, once I was blind, but now I see. I mean, what a great testimony. And what I love about his testimony is this. This blind man who now can see, he did not know everything there is to know about Jesus Christ. But he believed. You and I, we don't have to know everything. You don't have to be a Bible scholar to know about Jesus and have your life radically changed. All you need is an encounter with Jesus and tell somebody about that encounter. One of my favorite scriptures is found in the book of Acts, from Acts chapter 4, verse 20. When Peter and John have been, have been arrested, they have been persecuted because they're telling people about the resurrected Jesus. And the leaders of the day pull Peter and John aside, and in front of everybody, they say this to Peter and John, quit speaking about this man named Jesus. Do you remember this story? He said, quit talking about him. Don't, don't talk about him. As a matter of fact, when you talk about him, you cause problems in the world. I mean, you're turning things around. People's lives are changed. People's values are changed. People's ideas are changed. So stop tearing down what we as men have put together. And they say, quit speaking in the name of Jesus. And I love what Peter and John say in Acts chapter 4, verse 20. When they say, they say this, as for us, we cannot but help to speak of what we have seen and what we have heard. Meaning, I'm going to continue to speak what I have seen Jesus do and what I have heard Jesus do. Why? Because they had an encounter with Jesus. A testimony. A testimony. And here in Philippians chapter 3, verses 1 through 11, we read of one of the greatest testimonies in all of mankind. 
Verses 1 through 11 is the testimony of a man named Saul of Tarsus. You and I know him as Paul. On five or six different occasions in the New Testament, Paul gives his testimony. But here specifically in Philippians chapter 3, 1 through 11, Paul shares his testimony, and it is a testimony of joy. It's a testimony of how, how through his life he was able to have joy and how he wants the Philippians to maintain that joy no matter what they go through. So what I want to share with you this morning is three ways that Paul had a testimony of joy, but those same three things that Paul did, you can have them as well. I want you to write this down at number one. Number one, Paul had a testimony of joy because he rejoiced in God's grace. If you and I are to have a testimony of joy, no matter the circumstances in life, one of the things that we are to do, as Paul is going to explain in just a few moments, we are to rejoice in God's grace. Every day when you and I wake up, we are to rejoice in God's grace. Now, I want to give a little confession time this morning. Um, since I started this series on joy, and I've shared this with my staff a couple of times, since I started this series on joy, guess what area of my life Satan has decided to attack? Are you with me? Joy. And I'll be honest with you. It's been difficult. It's been difficult at times to wake up and rejoice in God's grace. Is anybody with me on that? There's days. Sometimes there's weeks and there's months where it's hard. I mean, it's just hard to wake up and rejoice because of the things that go on in, in life. It's hard, but here Paul says, that we are to rejoice in God's grace. Look at verse number one. He says, finally, my brethren, my brothers and sisters. He says, rejoice in the Lord. Now, whenever you read the word finally, what do you think that means? He's coming to an end, right? It's kind of like when a pastor says finally in his sermon. He's just now catching his second wind. Amen? Right? I, I remember in, in my doctoral work um, at Beeson Divinity, I sat, under, uh, I sat under a great man of God, a great preacher by the name of Dr. Calvin Miller. And uh, I listened to him and, and sat underneath him, and he was uh, talking about preaching one day, and he said this comment. He said, preachers, when you preach, learn how to land the plane. Do <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? He said, land the plane. He says, when you, when you come to the end of your message, put that baby down. <laughs> he said, you've all been in a, in, that, in, that, uh, in a plane where you've circled the airport, and you're wondering, what's going on? He said, pastor, your people think the same thing when you don't end your message. Land the plane. By the way, did you know the longest recorded sermon in history? You know how long? 58 hours. We're breaking it today. <laughs> yeah? Guinness Book of World Records, here we go. That makes my 40 minutes sound pretty good, amen? <laughs> but when Paul, 
when Paul says finally, when he says finally, he's, the word he used is not saying it's time for me to land the plane. Right, we, we miss that in the English. But in the Greek, he's not saying, oh, here's the last thing I want to say to you. Because it's just in the middle of the book. He's got two more chapters to go. So when he says finally, and he's speaking to the Philippians. Remember, he started this church 10 years prior to writing this letter. He says, finally, my brothers and sisters. What it means is this. He says, I'm going to tell you something else to do based upon what I've already told you to do. In chapter 1, for to me to live is Christ. Chapter 1, verse 27, he says, I've already told you, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ Jesus so that people will know that you're a follower of Jesus. In chapter 2, he has, said, he has said this, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, of the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. He says, he says also in verse 5 of chapter 2 that you need to have the same attitude as that as Christ Jesus. In verses 19 through 30 of chapter 2, he says, follow the example of, of Timothy and of Pastor. Aphrodite, he says, I've told you things to do, and here's what you need to do. But brothers and sisters, let me tell you something else you need to do. He says, based upon of all of this, based upon all of this, here's what I want you to do. I want you to rejoice in the Lord. He says, finally, my brothers and sisters, as you're conducting yourselves in a manner of the worthy of gospel, as you're walking together in unity, as you're following uh, people's examples, rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord in all things. That word rejoice can be translated as boast in the Lord. It means to glory in the Lord. It means, it means that all of our delight and all of our joy for the present and for the future is found only in Jesus Christ. Rejoice in him. Chapter 1, Christ is your life. Chapter 2, Christ is your model. In chapter 3, Christ is our goal. You rejoice in him. Seek him passionately. Finally, my brothers, continue on in verse 1. Finally, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things again is no trouble to me. That phrase, same things, literally means repetition. As an athlete or maybe a musician, you've heard the phrase, practice makes perfect, right? Well, that's not true. Perfect practice makes perfect. Isn't that right? And so what Paul is talking about, it's, it's repetition. He says, church, I, I don't mind sharing this with you again. It's like going back to the basics, always going back to the basics. I don't mind sharing this with you again. Apparently, uh, this is Paul's drum beat that he beat continually to the Philippians. Rejoice. Church, rejoice. Church, rejoice. Church, rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord. Find your joy in the Lord. Charles Spurgeon, the prince of preachers, said this. When you preach the Bible, constantly come back to the believer's joy. Constantly come back to the believer's joy. Uh, Spurgeon also said this, and I love this quote. He said, the gospel to the Christian is like a sugar cube placed in English tea. You would do well to throw in an extra lump or two. Isn't that good? Some of you have no idea what a sugar cube is. <laughs> How many of you remember a sugar cube? How many remember that? Yeah. It's sweet and low. Amen? That's what it is. <laughs> the other day, Angela and I and the girls, we were at a restaurant and uh, they were making their tea, and uh, they were 
you know, they had the, the drink station, and so the tea was out there. A big, big tea thing holder. Yes. And they make the tea, and you see the tea coming out. But then one of the workers comes out carrying two quarts of white, pure sugar. And we watched him just pour the sugar in, and he stirred it up. And that was some of the best Georgia sweet tea. <laughs> and this is what Paul, this is what Paul is saying. He's saying, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same thing again to you is no trouble. And the gospel brings joy. The gospel is like Georgia sweet tea to all believers in the South. It's beautiful. It brings great joy. And he says, I'm going to do it again. Look at the end of verse 1. Why am I going to continue? Paul's saying, why am I going to continue to tell you to rejoice in the Lord. Verse 1, he says, because it's a safeguard to you. He says, he says, church, he says, believers, rejoicing in the Lord is actually a safeguard to you. It means it's actually protection to you. Um, that, that Greek word for safeguard is asphaleo, which means to not to trip to keep from stumbling. So Paul says to the church in Philippi, rejoice in the Lord. Now you and I both know that there have been some difficulties in the church. That's what it says in chapter 4, that two ladies have been causing some, some disunity in the church. They're going back and forth. And later on in chapter 3, we may see there'll be some false teachers who are coming into the church and causing some problems. But Paul says, listen, one way you overcome that is you rejoice in the Lord. If you want to keep from stumbling, if you want to keep from falling, you rejoice in the Lord. You rejoice in God's grace. You take glory in the grace of God. This Greek word asphaleo is where we get our English word asphalt from. Asphalt, something that which is hard, that which should keep you from stumbling, which should keep you from, uh, from falling. It is safe. It is secure. And Paul says, when you and I rejoice in the Lord and we add nothing else to the name of Jesus Christ, it will keep you from stumbling. Amen? When you rejoice in the Lord, it will keep you from stumbling. Well, look at verses 2 through 3. Y'all still with me this morning? We have 57 hours and 27 minutes to go. Look at verses 2 through 3, and Paul's going to tell us, he's going to tell us why we need to rejoice in God's grace. He's told us it'll keep us from stumbling, but in verses 2 through 3, he says, but there's some people out there who are coming in your midst, and they're teaching you to put your faith and your trust in your own works. Look at this. Verse number two, he says, beware of the dogs. Now, when he says this, this is, he's not, Paul doesn't have in mind those little lap dogs. You know what I'm talking about? He's not talking about that. He's actually talking about the, the dirty, mangy, tick-infested, disease-carrying dogs. He says, beware of them. As a matter of fact, in the original Greek, here in verse 2, um, the word dogs is spelled in all caps, and it's spelled D-A-W-G-S. <laughs> and in Greek, it's pronounced, how about them dogs? <laughs> you were wondering how I was going to get that in this message, didn't you? 
which is a transition to how about them Red Raiders? There you go, the Texas Tech Red Raiders. There you go. Or we could say, how about them Braves? Oh, praise God. A testimony of joy. No, in Greek, it is not spelled that way, nor is it pronounced that way. But Paul says, you beware, you beware of those dogs. And in, and in Greek, it literally means those who have evil character. Are you with me? Evil character. Then he says, look at, again, verse 2, beware of the evil workers. It goes from character to, their, to the outward living. And then at the end of verse 2 says, beware of the false circumcision, which means this false circumcision references to those individuals who says, Jesus plus something equals salvation. Meaning that Jesus isn't enough. Meaning that you need more than Jesus to enter into eternity. Paul says, no, 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 no. You beware of those dogs. You beware of those evil workers. You beware of the false circumcision. You don't listen to them. You don't trust them. Because when you listen to those who are, who are, who are dogs, who are evil workers, who are falsely circumcised, here's what happens. When you follow them, you lose your joy. And when you try to earn or, or make up your own joy outside of Jesus Christ, that's when you lose it completely. Amen? And Paul says, church, no, 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 no. You rejoice in the Lord. Look at verse number three. Look at verse number three. He's going to tell us again why we don't follow those who are, going, who are saying Jesus plus something. Here's why. Verse three, we are the true circumcision. We believers, we're the true circumcision, which means our hearts have been circumcised. How have our hearts been circumcised? We have bowed our knee in humility to Jesus Christ, and we have confessed with our mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, and we have believed in our heart that God raised him from the dead. And Paul says in Romans, if you say those and if you live that way, you have been saved. You are circumcised in the heart when you believe in this all-sufficient death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ and nothing else for your salvation. That brings you joy. That brings you joy. He says, for we are the true circumcision who worship in the Spirit of God. What does that mean? When you become a believer, you've bowed the knee, you've humbled the heart, you've confessed with your mouth. Here's what happens. The Spirit of God comes in you. He comes in you immediately. Right then, upon your confession in Christ Jesus, you get all of the Holy Spirit. Jesus, God the Father, God the Son, does not give you just a portion of the Holy Spirit. He gives you all of himself. He gives you all of himself because you have given all of yourself to him. And Paul says, we are the true circumcision who worship in the Spirit of God. And we glory in Christ Jesus for what he did on the cross. And look at this last part, those last six words, and we put no confidence in the flesh. We put no confidence in the flesh. I don't know about you, but that brings great relief to me. Does that bring relief to you? That we do not have to put confidence in the flesh Meaning you and I, listen, you and I, you do not have to earn God's favor. Are you with me? 
You do not have to earn your way to heaven. You do not have to work your way to heaven. You and I, we're not good enough. If you could work your way to heaven, you would have to be as good as God. Anybody want to raise their hand on that one? No, the Bible says we're all sinners. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. But it's only by God's grace. It is only by God's grace. Now, I'm like many of you. I struggle with those things. Amen? I beat myself up at times. I go through the dumps, and I, and I try, to, try to figure it out on myself, and I don't know if I fully understand God's grace. I don't get it. I don't fully understand it, but here's what I know. Here's what Paul says. You rejoice in God's grace because God's grace is free to all those who believe in the name of Jesus Christ, and you are affirmed by God if you have humbled your life before him, and you don't have to earn his favor anymore. That brings great relief. And Paul had a testimony of joy because he believed in God's grace. He rejoiced in God's grace. Is that your testimony? That you can rejoice in God's grace. Here's number two. Paul had a testimony of joy because he remembered what was most important. He remembered what mattered most. Look at verses 4 through 6. Remember, he has just said that we don't put any confidence in the flesh, but verse 4 he says, but I myself, uh, I could have confidence in the flesh. He said, if anybody had confidence in the flesh, it, it, it could be me. If anyone else had a mind to put confidence in the flesh, I have far more. Verse 5, and he gives his list. He says, I've been circumcised on the eighth day. I'm of the nation of Israel. I'm of the tribe of Benjamin. I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. As to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to the righteous which is in the law, I have been found blameless. In the margin of your Bible, write these words, high achiever. I mean, Paul is the ultimate high achiever. Anybody in here high achievers? I mean, there's nothing inherently wrong with being a high achiever, is there? I mean, I, I prefer to be a low achiever, but if you want to be a high achiever, that's fine. And there's nothing inherently wrong with working hard to succeed. Our world honors and recognizes those who are high achievers, right? That's why you have businesses call out the, the employee of the month, or schools give students of the month, or uh, athletic teams player of the year, or most valuable player. We, we recognize high achievers. That's kind of part of our culture. Over the past couple weeks, as we have unpacked our boxes since we've moved into our house, I found my box of medals. It's about that big. <laughs> Quite embarrassing, but in our text, Paul lets us know that his trophy case is larger than anybody else's. Look what I've done. But he's not saying this in a form of arrogance or to build himself up. As a matter of fact, it's quite the opposite. He says, look at this. Look at what all I've done. I mean, if Paul could have received an award of the year, he would have been Hebrew of the year. Pharisee of the year. This man did it all. He had everything. And he says, church... Rejoice in the Lord. I'm going to tell it to you again. 
Because it's a safeguard for you. You watch out for those dogs, those evil workers. You watch out for those false circumcision. We're the true circumcision who worships, who worships God the Father through the Spirit of God. And, and, but he says, we, we don't put confidence in the flesh. We, we, don't, we don't put confidence in the flesh. Don't, don't, don't look at this trophy case. It doesn't mean much. It, 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 doesn't, it doesn't matter. And so Paul says, he says to the church, listen, you want to have joy in your life. You want to have a testimony of joy. You have to know and learn and understand what matters most. And he says, the flesh doesn't matter because you're not going to take them into eternity. You know, in my box of medals, gets smaller every time I tell the story. I'm sure I have a participation ribbon in there somewhere. There may even be a third place ribbon from fourth grade 100 meter dash. Are you with me? It's not going with me to heaven. It doesn't make me who I am. The things you do in the flesh does not make you who you are. You're greater than all of those things. But you're only greater than all those things if you're found to be in Christ Jesus. See, when you're found in Christ Jesus, you are clothed in Christ. You are found in him. He is in you. You are in him. And he tells you this, you need to abide in me. And when you abide in me, that's when I'm going to fill you with joy. And so it's just how Jesus says, don't, don't bring your medals to me. It says that Jesus says, don't, don't bring your medals to me. Don't bring your rewards to me. Because here's the reality. There is somebody who always has more medals than you. There's somebody who has more rewards than you. There's somebody who is going to have more than you. You can never reach that. You can never obtain to their standard. And so Jesus, being on a level playing field, says, your medals don't matter. What you earn in the flesh doesn't matter. What matters is what are you going to do with me when you enter into eternity? What are you going to do with me here on this earth? I mean, when you and I, we stand before Jesus Christ, and he says, why should I let you into my heaven? You're not going to pull out your box of medals. And so Paul says, you want a testimony of joy because you had an encounter with Jesus. You need to know what matters most. And now he's going to tell us what matters most. Write this down, number three. Paul had a testimony of joy because he made it his goal to know Jesus better. In verses 7 through 11, Paul is going to tell us that all of those things that I have earned, they mean nothing to me knowing how great Jesus Christ is. Are you all with me this morning? Are you with me? Verse 7. We're going to spend 56 hours on these next five verses. Verse 7, but whatever things were gained to me. Remember Paul, the high achiever, has a huge trophy case? But whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as loss. I've counted them as loss for the sake of Christ. All those things that I thought were important to me, I consider them nothing now that I know Christ. Meaning, meaning, 
I, I, I know Christ and, and he is my everything so that these things don't matter. Just knowing him, I consider all these things a loss just because I know Christ better. And Paul says, my life was radically changed by coming in contact with Jesus Christ. It changed. I was walking in one direction, Paul says. I was walking to destroy Christians. But as I was walking on the road to Damascus, man, I had an encounter with Jesus, and he changed me. So that now what I was doing with this in my life, he says, because I met Jesus, I want no part of that. I want everything that Jesus wants from me. And my life is changed. It's changed. I love what one preacher said. He said this, I'm not running the rat race anymore. Because even if you win the rat race, you're still a rat. Isn't that good? That's great. He went on to say, I don't need to worry about keeping up with the Joneses because they just refinance for bankruptcy. Hello. Paul says, all these things that I thought was me, all these things that I thought were cool, all these things that, that I thought made me and made people respect me, all these things that, that I thought were great for me and the whole scheme of things, it doesn't matter anymore. It doesn't matter. And one of the key things to know whether or not you are saved, one of the key ways to know that you are saved or not saved is this, your values have changed. Are you with me? If your values have not changed after you profess Christ, I mean, we gotta, we gotta ask ourselves, did I, did I really give my life to Jesus? I'm not trying to cause doubt, but whenever you have had an encounter with Jesus, your life has changed and your values change. Look at verse number eight. Paul said, I want to know Jesus better. Look at verse eight. More than that, I count, excuse me, I count all things. Count all things is a mathematical term, which means I've thought about it and I've come to a conclusion. He says, I've counted all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. All these things that matters nothing to the glory and the grandeur and the beauty of Jesus Christ. That when I see him, all things pass away as I gaze upon his face. And when I look to him, that's all I want. But have you ever been in the presence of Jesus? You ever had those moments in your life where you just sense the spirit of the living God upon you? Nothing matters in the world anymore, right? You're like, I just want to be here. I just, I just want to stay. I just want to stay in his presence. Because it's in his presence is when we feel the, the fullness of joy that this world can never give. He says, I want to know Christ. He goes on in verse 8, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things. Listen, when you follow Christ Jesus, you are going to lose some things. There are things you have to get rid of. But those things you get rid of, are nothing compared to the glory of Christ Jesus. He says, I count them but rubbish so that I may gain Christ and I may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God. Look at verse 10, that I may know him. 
A testimony of joy can only begin when you make it your goal in life to know Jesus Christ and to know him only. And look at what Paul says, how he's to know him. I want to know him in the power of his resurrection. Meaning I want to know that resurrection power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead. Do you know the scripture says that that same power that raised Jesus from the dead is the same power, the same spirit that lives in you and I? Think about that. The same spirit that blasted the stone away, breathed the breath of life back into him, that same spirit lives inside of us. And Paul says, I want to know that. I want to know that power. I want to know that power of his resurrection. And he says, then I want to fellowship of his sufferings, meaning if Jesus suffered, I'm willing to suffer. And I want to be conformed to his death. Why? Verse 11, in order that I may attain the resurrection from the dead. What does that mean? It means this, so that when my time comes on this earth or until Jesus returns, I will be with him for all eternity. And I can't wait. And Paul says in his testimony of joy, Rejoice in God's grace. Remember what's most important. And then finally, get to know Jesus better. Do you have a testimony? Do you have a testimony of joy? If you don't know Jesus today, I beg you to give up a hold of your life and give it to Jesus. And may we all, like Paul said, Consider all the things that we've ever done in the flesh, may we consider it rubbish so that we may know Jesus Christ and the power of his resurrection. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we come before you today. I thank you for who you are. And God, I thank you that... God, I'm just so thankful that our flesh cannot... I just think our flesh can't get us into eternity. And that we need something else. And that something else is the blood of Jesus. And Father, I pray today that right now, that in this room, that we would rejoice because of your grace. The grace that you have freely bestowed upon us. May we rest in your grace. May we rejoice in your grace. May we relax in your grace. And through this moment and through this Or in this time, God, I pray that you would reveal to us what is most important in our lives. What is something that we need to lay aside because it's hindering us from knowing you? God, whatever it is, we lay it down. And then, Father, we pray that all of us would make it our goal simply to know you better. To know you better. Jesus, have your way with us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.